Little foxes. Little foxes. Little foxes. So last week we kicked off this brand new series of conversations about how little things can cause us big problems over time. And there, the truth is there are choices and patterns in our lives that aren't necessarily bad or evil or sinful. Uh, and because they're not, we have a tendency to kind of ignore them and, and to think of them as harmless. Uh, but many times they're actually doing more damage than we think and, and ultimately can end up sabotaging us and keeping us from running the race that we were created to run, that God has marked out for us. And so last week we, we, di- we dove into this conversation on week one talking about habits and, and, and just had a, an incredible uh, time opening the scriptures together. And I was thinking this week, you know, it's hard to believe but my wife, Hansi, and I, she was playing the keyboard a little earlier. She, she's got kind of the hair on fire look right now. And, um, and we're going to be approaching the big 5-0 in the next couple of years or so. And um, I know you're not supposed to tell or ask a woman's age, uh, but she's older than me, so it's okay. Um, and so, but we've been together, we've been together going on 35 years um, dating back to when I was in seventh grade. And uh, when, you're, when you're in high school, I can't tell you, there we are. That was actually, that was homecoming in 1990. So 31 years ago, there we are. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even know what was going on there. Uh, but, but when you're in high school, I can't tell you the kind of respect and kind of cred that you get when you're dating an upperclassman who is also a cheerleader, but I got to do that in high school. Uh, And so one of the things I've noticed though, as I've gotten older and and starting to approach five decades on the planet is that when you've been around that long, like you, you actually get to watch a lot of ideas and philosophies and beliefs sort of play out over a long period of time. And if you're my age or older, you know what I'm talking about. And I've always been struck by how many people start off so well, but then their journey ends suddenly, almost unexpectedly. And I'm not talking about death because they didn't die, but a moment that kind of the wheels just sort of came off and the life that they had built just kind of came crashing down around them. And it wasn't the end of their life, but it was the end of their dreams and the end of their success or the end of their influence and their credibility. And oftentimes when the autopsy of what happened finally comes out, what often sort of gets all of the the, the attention is the scandalous ending. The one big thing that sort of brought it all down. The choice they made that was sort of the death blow to their reputation or their business or their leadership or whatever. But so often when you look back and you kind of dig into it, what you see all along the way are these little foxes that were spoiling the vine. Little foxes that just went unchecked. Patterns that seemed insignificant. If you were just take a snapshot at any one time, it just didn't seem like that big a deal until, until they were. Small things that over time did their damage, slowing them down, eventually bringing them down. But here's the good news for all of us is that we're not doomed. And that's kind of where we landed last week is that we can catch the foxes before the damage is done, that we can change before we have to. Now, I I don't know if if you've ever noticed this, but people people are whacked, all right? Like anybody anybody ever noticed that? Anybody know somebody that you're just like, I can think of a few people right now. Whether it's family, coworkers, friends, roommates, classmates, somebody that you dated once, 
somebody you're married to, neighbors, people in your HOA. Woo, woo. That's, that's where my Idaho people at because that's, that's how it works here. Or just strangers, right? Things can get complicated and sideways really, really fast. Uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, um, my father-in-law, he was, before he retired, he was, a, he was the vice president of a, uh, of a grocery store chain in Northern California. And, uh, and one of his vendors gave him um, World Series tickets, two World Series tickets when the Giants, San Francisco Giants were playing the Texas Rangers in the World Series. And, uh, and I, I've spent most of my life in Northern California and I hate all the Northern California teams. And so I was just like, I get to go. And I was born in Texas. I'm not a huge baseball guy, but like the Texas Rangers are playing the Giants. And so he just called me up. He's like, hey, you wanna go? You wanna go to the World Series? And I was like, heck yeah. He's like, I got two tickets, take Jaron. So um, Jaron was just a little kid. And, and, uh, but we went off, drove down to San Francisco and, and, and we got actually pretty decent seats. We were down the third baseline about halfway between third base and the, and the outfield wall and um, I don't know, you know, lower level. So it was, they were pretty good tickets. And, but there was a guy that was in our section, ended up being just like a couple of seats from us that had to be the most annoying, obnoxious fan I've ever been to any sporting event ever. And the more he drank, the louder he got and the more obnoxious he became. And he was just yelling at everybody and yelling at workers and just yelling at the ump after every pitch. I mean, if you could, if you have the, like the passion to argue every pitch from, you know, 300 feet away, like, man, you, you got some passion. And so he was just like booing. And then he's like catcalling people, you know, women that are going up and down. And I mean, just, and I was just like, somebody please pound this guy into the ground. And I don't get riled up very easily, but by the seventh inning, like, I was just like, dude, I want to fight this guy. I'm not, I'm not likes to fight guy, but I want to fight this guy. And I just, I, I just gotten my black belt recently. I was like, I, oh, you know, come on, man. I just, I know the move, you kind of wipe your nose and you know, I, I know how, and you're drunk and so this shouldn't be that hard. Um, so I was just sick of this guy. Has that ever happened to you where you've been somewhere and you're just like, I just can't be in the presence of this person anymore. Whether you're traveling or you're on vacation or you're just out with your family and somebody's just being a jerk and just kind of like acting like an idiot. I saw a video last week of a, of a guy that was in, like, a, he's been in the MMA for a while and like, he was at a restaurant with his family and some dude was getting loud and then he just like took it. I'm like, dude, I, that is like, I just have that kind of like cool fantasy. Like I'm in a public place and the guy was trying to fight him and he's just on top of him. Like I was like, ground and pound him, you know, like choke him out. Don't let him tap out, get that guy. Um, but has that ever happened to you where you're just out and like somebody's just being an idiot? Like we love Disneyland. We've also had a handful of really intense moments there because people get crazy when it comes time for the crowd and the line and cutting and being rude and just like, oh, and, you know, they come in with elbows and you're just like, whoa. And so that's where when our kids were little, we had like the double stroller that had like the four wheel drive wheels on just like right on people's heels when they cut. Just like, oh, sorry, that is an accident. Now, thankfully, at that night at the baseball game, the guy got up and disappeared to go to the bathroom or to buy more beer or so. I don't know what he was doing. And he was gone a really, really long time. And while he was gone, I just kind of like kept telling myself, okay, just another 30 minutes, another little bit. It'll all be over. We can get away from this dude and we'll never see him 
again, which, which in those moments is kind of helpful to remember so you can kind of deescalate and sort of calm down and, and, and regain perspective. But, but what's difficult is the moments in relationships where it's not a total stranger, right? Where, where you do have to see them again, where things get sideways, things get intense, but you can't just get away from them because they're your boss or they live with you or they're related to you or you have kids together. Like what then? Like what, what do you do then? Because it, it, isn't it true that our most exhausting relationships are the ones that we can't easily escape? Like we can't just simply peace out and never talk to them again, never be around them again. I mean, the truth is that relationships are messy no matter what, right? Like we, we've all lost relationships with people that we loved, people we cared about, and we weren't really sure how or why it fell apart or why they stopped talking to us. Or, or maybe, maybe there have been people that you had to intentionally kind of cut out of your life. But, but what if it's just not that easy, right? How do you know if that's the right move? And for all the talk in our culture about relationships, all the friending and following, very few of us actually learn how to create healthy long-term friendships, healthy, long-term relationships. We usually know it when we see it. We celebrate it in our culture. We've all experienced it at some level and we know what it's not. Many of us post about friendships and relationships, about our besties and people that betray us, but we don't always know how we got there or what went wrong or sometimes which relationships are even good for us and which ones aren't. And part of the reason that it can be so difficult for us is that having healthy relationships isn't really applauded in our culture, right? We applaud being well-rounded way more than we applaud being well-surrounded. Our society would much rather you get a better job or get a raise or a bigger house or boost your portfolio. Those are the things that we get applause for, way to go. And rightfully so, right? We should applaud people working hard and moving forward and moving ahead, but, but nobody ever says like, hey man, way to go. You got really good friends. You have healthy relationships. Dude, awesome. How did like, oh wait, yeah, let's just applaud. Like that doesn't happen in our culture, right? And isn't it one of the strange things about life is that you can be an awesome person, but lack the skills necessary to develop healthy long-term relationships, healthy long-term friendships. Maybe, maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you're related to somebody like that. Now, it's not necessarily evil or sinful or bad, you know, to be bad at relationships, right? It's not helpful for life, but it's not like God's gonna be like, I would love to let you into heaven, but man, you were a crappy boyfriend. So there you go. No, it's not sinful. But what if all of those broken relationships, what if all those broken friendships, what if all the relational turmoil in our life is actually weighing us down and keeping us from becoming who we were created to be? How do we keep all the relational tension and friction in our lives from slowing us down and bringing us down? How do we catch the fox of fruitless relationships and keep it from sabotaging our lives? Now, thankfully, this isn't like, something new in humanity, like all of a sudden we just started having relational problems. No, this is like, goes back to the beginning from the very beginning where Cain killed his brother Abel. Like it goes all the way back from the time that God created humanity. 
So there's this crazy story in the Old Testament that really we'll, we're gonna look at as an example because it's, it's an extreme example of a dysfunctional relationship. But uh, we, I intentionally chose it because I, I really think that there's some stuff that we can learn from this. So there's a guy named Saul who is the king in Israel and he was known as a great warrior um, and, and he was the very first king of the nation of Israel. And he had a son named Jonathan, but because Saul was kind of a jerk face and because he was not a great king and he wouldn't listen to God, so God told him that his son, Jonathan, would actually not rule in his place like is customary, you know, when you're the king and your son's the prince, that he gets to be the king after you. But God told him, no, like your son's not gonna get to be the king. Instead, the throne would be given to someone else. And so there's this kid named David who is just anointed as the king to be. And he has a reputation for being even a greater warrior than Saul, i.e. he just killed a giant recently. And now, you know, like all of that would make things complicated enough if there's a king and they're like, hey, you're gonna be king. Because then the king's like, no, he's not because I'm gonna kill him so I can be king. And so there, there's all this weird tension. And as, as, as if that's not enough, um, you know, all the complications of legacies and egos and power struggles, just to give it kind of that extra little twist and make it a little bit more fun, David is married to Saul's daughter. And so David is Saul's son-in-law. And so tensions are running high. And this is how Saul responds in 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning with verse 28. It says this, it says, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David, and how much his daughter Michal loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained, or he made himself David's enemy for the rest of his life. I mean, that does make holidays at the in-laws a little awkward when, you're, when your father-in-law's like, you are my enemy, mortal enemy for the rest of my life, right? Admittedly, honestly, this is a difficult situation for both of them, but, but notice that David actually hadn't done anything wrong. Saul looked at him and he saw that God was with him and was like, I hate you. Like, what? He said, my daughter loves you. I hate you even more. You are my enemy. That, those were his sins. God being with him and his daughter loving him. So Saul becomes really paranoid and jealous and he doesn't handle the situation well at all. And the truth is for most of us, and, and what's true in this situation is so much of the conflict that we have with people isn't personal, it's situational. See, Saul didn't hate David because of who David was. Saul hated David because who David was going to be, because of the situation they were in, because God said, you're gonna be king, David. And he's like, I now hate you, right? And, and a lot of times the truth is, like the, the conflict we have in relationships is very similar. It's situational. The problem is that it doesn't feel that way. It feels personal, right? And so, Things escalate, and actually things in this story escalate pretty quickly between Saul and David. In the very next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1, it says this, Saul now urged his servants. So he goes from kind of hating and being afraid of David to now we're gonna take it to the next level. So Saul urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David, his son-in-law. But Jonathan, because of his affection for David, because David and Jonathan were friends, Jonathan told him what his dad was planning. Now, quick show of hands, whose in-laws have definitely wanted to kill you at some point? Anybody? No, yeah, okay, for sure. Anybody wanted to kill? You don't have to raise your hands if you've wanted to kill your in-laws. No. 
So things kind of spiral out of control for David, for Jonathan, um, and, and it gets worse. So it, you notice that as we go along in the story, things are escalating. It goes from him being afraid of him and kind of hating him to then him trying to get other people to kill him. And then it escalates again in 1 Samuel chapter 19, a few verses later in verse 10, it says this, David, so they're just hanging out. Saul hurled his spear at David. So he goes from trying to get other people to kill him. And it's so hard to get you guys to find good help with murder for hire plots, like to find people that'll actually follow through and get the job done. So Saul's like, I can't find good help. So I'm gonna take it into my own hands. So he hurls his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way. I just wanna see the video of this moment. Like they're just hanging out and Saul's just like, Foof, and David's like, Ooh, just do that like, weird Okay, anyway, I, I imagine movies in my head when I read these stories. So the, the spear stuck in the wall and he fled and escaped into the night. Then Saul's troops, uh, Saul sent troops to watch David's house and they were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. Uh, but McCall, his wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you're gonna be dead by morning. So Saul initially tells his servants and his sons to kill David and they don't get the job done. So now he's moving on to trying to do it, do it himself. And at first he doesn't like him. Then he tells other people to kill him. Now he's trying to kill David himself. Like it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Now, obviously like this is, these moments you're just like, dude, what a psycho. It's really easy and you know, to, he's crazy. It's easy to judge him. But, but the truth is many times our impulse when we feel hurt, or frustrated or threatened is to strike first, is to get them before they get us, right? And that's what Saul's doing. Oh, you think you're gonna be king? I'm hurt, upset, threatened. So I'm just gonna try to eliminate that before there's ever any conflict between us. I mean, think about your relationships. You probably don't have anyone actively trying to kill you right now. If you do, I would love to talk to you and find out the details of that story. But you probably do have some complicated relationships and maybe they're unhealthy. Even, you know, that person's even a little bit unpredictable or irrational, uh, but, but it, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't even have to all be directed at you to sort of spill into your life and cause all this drama and be super stressful, right? But if you don't deal with it, it can dominate your time and a bunch of your mental and emotional, like real estate and the time and energy in your life. Right? And, and so you have to actually step into those spaces and begin to address those situations. See, the reason any of this matters is that our relationships actually have momentum. They impact our lives and our other relationships. In fact, the types of relationships we have in the future hinges on what we're willing to be intentional about today. And if we just sort of ignore this stuff or ignore this, the, the, the dysfunction or the unhealth, if we ignore all the drama, we just sort of try to put our fingers in our ears and just kind of pretend or, or we just kind of indulge it and we're just like in that healthy, unhealthy sort of codependent sort of thing. Like your ability to have healthy relationships in the future hinges on your willingness to deal with what's going on in your life right now. See, because good, healthy relationships don't just happen. They actually take hard work and self-control and intentionality. We may actually have to draw and enforce some boundaries and do some uncomfortable work with certain people in our lives and have uncomfortable conversations. So we often you know, imagine if you've ever had to kind of think through or draw a relational boundary. We often imagine needing to draw boundaries in relationships to keep the other person in check. 
But I, I don't know if you've ever tried to control someone else. It doesn't usually go all that well. You can't talk to me that way. Actually, they can. It's just up to you whether or not you're going to listen or hang up or walk away. See, boundaries, boundaries are not to put the other person in check. Boundaries are how we keep ourselves in check. A boundary is just a, a perimeter that's intended to protect me, not punish you. It's not a tool for shifting blame or putting all the responsibility on you. It's not a weapon to beat you up with. It's not the way that I work out my anger sort of passive aggressively, just like moving you out of my life. It's me taking ownership for myself and recognizing my own limitations, which means if you're setting up a boundary in a relationship, you're actually setting that boundary up on yourself, which is a really good thing. It's taking responsibility for your story and for your choices and what the consequences are for those choices. My friend Mike actually describes boundaries this way. He says, a boundary is the distance at which I can love you and love me simultaneously. And sometimes when you're in a relationship with somebody that's really healthy, you can be really, really close. And that boundary doesn't have to separate you because you can love them and love yourself simultaneously and it's, it's sometimes you're like I need you to be over there for me to be able to love you and love myself at the same time isn't that so good I, I think that's one of the most helpful descriptions I've ever heard so how does David respond to Saul well he actually removed himself from any of the environments that included Saul and created some distance now that might seem obvious since Saul was trying to kill him if somebody's trying to kill you, it's not like, hey, let's sit down and have coffee. Like you don't try to work it out with them. But David had already proven himself. Listen, this is what I think sometimes we miss. David had already proven himself that he was a more capable warrior and military strategist than Saul was. He had killed a giant. He could handle the king. He also had a massive following. He had soldiers that were loyal to him. He had the greatest warriors in the nation that were like, we wanna follow you. You are a leader worth following. He could have easily rallied a massive army, led an insurrection, overthrew the king and allowed himself to be installed. Going, and God already said, I'm gonna be king. But he refused to allow himself to get sucked in to all the drama and to become somebody he didn't want to be. So instead, he chose to simply remove himself from the situation. By the way, that made his life way more difficult than if he had just led an insurrection and went in and installed himself as king. It meant that he had to live on the run as a fugitive. It meant that he was hiding out in caves and moving from city to city and town to town. It meant that he just, he didn't have a home anymore. He couldn't be at home with his wife because the king would show up to, to kill him. He could have easily taken a path that had made things e easier for him, that had made things more comfortable for himself, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't have been able to sleep at night. And so he chose to go, look, you, you do what you're gonna do. I'm gonna remove myself from the situation. See, Part, part of keeping relationships from hijacking our lives is actually when you decide who you're going to be regardless of who they become or what they do. You're just like, you can, you can make whatever choices you're gonna make. You can be whoever you wanna be. I can't control you. I can't tell you who to be or what to do. All I can do is decide this is who I'm gonna be. This is how I'm gonna behave. This is what I'm gonna say and do. 
Still, there was no way for him to fully escape the relationship uh, from Saul because Saul is the king. David is a soldier in the king's army and he's married into his family. The king's son, Jonathan, who is David's brother-in-law, is also his best friend, as I said a little while ago. But he did his best to create some distance to put that boundary between him and his father-in-law. He made the decision, look, I, I can't be around you, but I'm also not gonna talk about you. I'm not gonna run you down to other people. I refuse to try to hurt you or attack you. Like, he's a soldier. He was armed at the moment that Saul threw the spear at him. And he decided to leave instead of fight back. See, we can't control the measure of love or the measure of relationship that we receive from anybody, but we can control 100%. We have complete control over the measure of love and relationship that we give to other people. See, the truth is healthy people live their lives to be loving, not loved. Healthy people live their lives to be loving to those around them not like, oh, somebody, I just, I need to find people to love me. And I think one of the reasons why this fox is so hard for us to catch is that we actually don't always know the difference in our own heart between when we're doing something to be loving and when we're doing it to be loved. We think we're doing it to be loving. We've convinced ourselves a lot of times that the reason we don't draw boundaries is because we're just being loving to them and we don't wanna be mean that the reason that we stay in unhealthy relationships with unhealthy people is because we're being loving. But the truth is, it's almost always the opposite, right? It's not because we're being loving. It's almost always because we want to be loved. And, and honestly, you can tell the difference because when, when you live in love, it always leads you towards healthy places, always. Loving others always will cost us. It's always risky, but the, the price is never our own mental and emotional well-being. And if that's the price that you're paying in a relationship, in a friendship, I can tell you that's not love. It can certainly, loving people can hurt and be painful and uncomfortable, but it's never, ever unhealthy. Most of my life, especially as an adult, this line between living to be loving and living to be loved has gotten really blurry because there's been times where my life has been chaotic and pressed and my calendar's full and I have no margin and I don't tell anybody no and I say yes and I'm trying to just, and in my mind, I think I'm being loving. But the truth is, is when I step back and I look, it's just because, I just want people to love me. But healthy people live their lives to be loving, not to be loved. One of the things that's interesting about David and his relationship with Saul is that there were a couple of different times in this situation where David had the perfect opportunity and could have easily killed the king. Where he was on the run and the king was searching for him one time, David and a couple of his men snuck out into the middle of the night, went into the king's camp, and they could have easily killed him. All the warriors were asleep. There's this other time in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 2, 
So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men. He came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. Is there any more vulnerable time than when you're, I mean, this is the time you wanna kill somebody. David and his men were far back in the cave. So they're hiding in the cave. Saul and his men don't even know that they're in there. Saul goes in there to use the bathroom because you don't use the bathroom in front of your men when you're the king. And the men said, the men with David said this, this, this is what David's men are saying, right? This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with. They're like, dude, it's a sign from God. The king is right there. Go kill him. And so David creeps up completely unnoticed, which I'm thinking like, how dark was it in that? How quiet are, is like, all right. David crept up unnoticed and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. So in this moment, David's men are all pushing him to do the wrong thing to kill the king. And, and actually, when you read the story and you get a little bit more of the context, they're like, and if you won't do it, we will. We, we will do this for you. It would be our honor to kill that king for the new king. We got you. But David not only restrains himself, he restrains his men. Like, have you ever been in a situation where somebody's like, look, you should do that. And you're like, no, I can't do that. And they're like, okay, I'll do it for you. And you're like, I mean, I'm not gonna stop you. See, you gotta be careful who you let into the cave with you. You gotta be careful with the voices and the people that you invite into your inner circle. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, 26 says this, says the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. See, those words were actually written by David's son, Solomon. I wonder if this was a lesson that he learned from watching his dad or hearing the stories of his dad and King Saul. I, I think when we read that though, we have to kind of admit like this idea of choosing our friends carefully is kind of foreign to us, right? Because in our culture, relationships and friendships just sort of happen, right? Like if you show up to a party and another guy's wearing the same shirt as you, you might go home best friends. And you're just like, dude, bros, yes, absolutely. We And so we just think of it as all just sort of chemistry and connection and we just kind of vibe with people. And, but, but wisdom actually says, no, 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 no. Like this, this is too important. This matters too much. You actually have to be selective about who you bring close to you. The wise don't drift into relationships on accident. They choose carefully. They're intentional about their connections and their friends. They choose where they're going to invest their time and emotional energy, physical energy. The truth is that the people that are closest to you will determine how you respond to everyone else. The people that are closest to you, the relationships that are most important to you will inform how you respond in every other relationship. So choose carefully. The last part of that verse we read in Proverbs says that the way of the wicked leads them astray. And I think for, this is God telling us that for better or for worse, 
our relationships will set the course for our lives. That they will influence us and push us in a specific direction. And so choose who you bring in the cave with you. Choose carefully. So here's the principle. Here's what we aim for. Here's how we sort of trap, corral, catch this fox. This is, if if you don't hear anything else, this is the one thing for you to take home today. Give the best of your time and your energy to those who bring out the best in you. Have relationships, have friendships, 100%. Be loving, be friendly, but give the best of yourself to the people who bring out the best in you. See, this isn't about blowing people off or blowing them up. It's looking at your relationships and realizing that you have a finite amount of time. You have a finite amount of energy and then intentionally taking a step towards people who make you better. And, and knowing that also means that there's gonna be some people that you may have to take a step back from. One of my favorite passages of scripture is actually a part of this story between David and Saul. It's a moment that occurs not between the two of them, but between David and Jonathan. And it's found a couple of chapters later in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. David has been on the run and he's been trying to work his way back and try to make peace with the king, try to figure out a way for them to coexist. And so, but despite his efforts, he's starting to learn that that's just not gonna happen. And so he's really discouraged. In verse 16, it says this. It says, Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and he helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. That, that phrase is one of my favorite in all of scriptures that he helped him find strength in God. See, not only is Jonathan not causing or stirring up more drama and chaos for David, but he steps into the middle of all of the mess between him and his dad. And he begins to bring stability and strength and calm and perspective. See, this is what healthy people do. This is what life-giving relationships are like. See, you need people who will step into the chaos and do what Jonathan did with David, which was remind him, number one, of who God is. He helped him find strength in God. And number two, of who he was. You will be king. You're the king. Jonathan saying to David, it may not look like it right now. It certainly doesn't feel like it right now. But God loves you. He's for you he's with you and you are the king see most of us let's just be honest for a second most of us don't need another girl for girls night or another fantasy football buddy but we do need people who will infuse our lives with faith and hope and love and i love fantasy football i'm terrible at it but i love it right There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with girls. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of friends. But you also need people who are gonna step into the middle of the mess and bring health and calm and infuse your life. You need faith friends. And honestly, that's what we need to be for other people. We need to be the Jonathans to step into relationships, 
and say, God is with you. God is for you. Let me help you find strength in God. There's a really famous verse in the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Paul where he says these words. He says, bad company corrupts good character. It's taken me darn near 50 years to learn this, but I've noticed that sometimes the people who produce the most character and the most good in me aren't always the people that I'm most naturally drawn to or enjoy necessarily more than other people but I need them in my life. And at other times there have been people that I've really enjoyed being around. They were a ton of fun, but they were actually not good for my soul. And they pulled me towards somebody I did not want to be. See, this isn't about like getting rid of people you don't like, people who are hard to get along with. This isn't about ghosting people. It's just about learning how to live into healthy relationships. It's leaning into those, those relationships and in that direction and away from the ones that are unhealthy. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, walk with the wise and you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Does that sound like something you wanna leave to chance? Does that sound like a fox we should just ignore? No. We can't control other people and difficult people and messy relationships, they're a part of life. There's no doubt about it, but we can actually get better. We can grow and become more. We can become like Jonathan. We can learn to have healthier friendships and relationships. And it starts with us choosing to give the best of our time and our energy to those who bring out the best in us. Let's pray together.